I'm Nate Wombold, Vice President for Alumni and Community Affairs at Cairn University here in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, just outside the city of Philadelphia. Well, when we relaunched the Cairn 10 podcast earlier last year, I mentioned you'd be hearing some different voices hosting. And I'm really excited to introduce another of our hosts today, Ben Best. Ben is Director of Development and Foundations at Cairn. And in today's podcast, you will hear his discussion with Dr. Matt Mikulak, who has served for many, many years at Cairn and is now the director of the Youth and Family Ministry Program out of the School of Divinity. This is a great conversation for not only those who serve in youth ministry, but any parent who has a teen, will someday have a teen, or has had a teen, and that covers a lot of folks, I'm sure you're going to find this conversation encouraging and informative. After the show, if you would, please head over to iTunes and subscribe to Karen Commons if you haven't already done so, and I'd also ask you to leave us a review there. This helps us get the word out about Karen Commons, and after you hear the conversation between Matt and Ben, I am sure you'll be thinking of a person in your life you want to share it with anyway. Thanks for letting us be a part of your day, and enjoy this Karen Commons conversation. Welcome to Karen Commons, a biblically-minded podcast highlighting the people, conversations, and ethos of Karen University. Welcome to the Cairn University podcast. I'm joined this morning by Dr. Matt Mikulak, the Director of Youth and Family Ministry Programs at Cairn. My name is Ben Best. I'm the Director of Development and Foundations at the university, and I work as an assistant pastor in a local church, ministering to youth and families as well. So Dr. Mikulak and I would love to have a conversation today about the changes in youth ministry over the past several years and uh, provide some some outlook and some hope for the future. Uh, so we're going to chat and uh, see how the Lord leads this morning. So Matt has been teaching at the university for... This is my 27th year. I can't believe wow. it. Yeah, it goes so fast. I just love it. I feel more passionate about it now than I ever have. It's fantastic. And I think the need is greater. And you've been ministering in churches for nearly as long, possibly right. longer. Yeah. My wife and I, when we came to Cairn, we realized that we could help some churches that can't afford a full-time youth pastor. Mm -hmm. So we, that blessed our lives. We were involved in two church plants before going to Calvary Baptist in Bristol, where yeah. we have served now for 11 years. Wow. And my wife, Christine, and I have been in youth ministry at Warrington Fellowship Church and involved in other churches prior to that uh, for nearly a decade. Uh, so I very much understand that bivocational part-time uh, gig that veers on that full-time gig sometimes yeah. weeks in and weeks out, depending yeah. on the needs, right? Right. So one of the things that I think is maybe helpful, especially from the university perspective, as we talk about the sort of outlook of youth ministry, there's so many things we could cover. There's the effects of COVID on youth ministry over the past several years. There's even before COVID, you saw a decline in interest in not just youth ministry, but in, in churches as they were starting to shrink. And as a result, youth ministries and even camps and conference centers and the kind of downstream effect of smaller churches had on certainly just ministry in general. But from the from the perspective of youth ministry, and maybe especially um, Cairn in relation to its family and youth ministry programs, it would be understandable for somebody to look at entering youth ministry and look at the landscape currently and be a little bit concerned, what does life in youth ministry look like a decade from now? So I guess the, 
the way I'd like to tackle that question first would be, how has youth ministry in your mind changed over the past five or 10 years? Mm -hmm. Especially the past five, because it's really been maybe even more exacerbated since the last... Right, definitely. I think the changes that happened during COVID were not new, but it accelerated everything. Mm -hmm. And it also kind of magnified the problems. So a few years before COVID, Forbes magazine did an article and a research study on the most meaningful and the most uh, significant professions, careers, and most satisfying. Yeah. And number one was youth minister. <laughs> but this is kind of telling also, there was a tie, and the tie was with chief of police. <laughs> so how things have changed, right? Boy, how yeah. things have changed. So indeed. I still think it's a very meaningful and satisfying career choice. Yeah. But I think you're right. There are new challenges that we face and COVID has accelerated some things and exposed some things that I think has helped us to make corrections. But it's, it is a different ballgame. It really is. Ben, you and I can talk about some of the changes. Sure. And I think during COVID, we had an especially difficult challenge because of the fact that youth ministry is built on relationships. It's yeah. a relational ministry. So when we were cut off from being able to meet together with students and they kind of went underground, yep. it, it made things very, very difficult. Very much. I, I remember the beginning of COVID when we all collectively decided we had to shut down for a portion of time, all assuming it was maybe a two-week period, right? Everybody initially was happy to jump on Zoom and our group started a, a text chain immediately where like I was throwing out sort of a daily verse, an application, an opportunity to connect just over a dialogue over some text things. And then on Wednesdays and Sundays, we'd have our large ministry, but we would try to get our students every day together on Zoom for like a half hour or less, just connect, remember the relationships. And that was great for a solid two weeks. And then Zoom got really old, really fast. Right. And we saw an immediate decline. Did you guys experience the same? Well, what happened with us in March when it hit, we began to try to meet together with students in different ways. And it took us, we, we immediately felt that Zoom fatigue yep. because they were all day online. Yeah. So we waited till December of 2020 and we put it out to the students. We said, we'll be willing to meet with you every night until Christmas if you want to come on at 9 o'clock. Yeah. Just for 15 minutes or so, just to touch base, see how you're doing. We'll read the Bible together and we'll pray. And we said it like this. Let's look back on the day with the thankful heart. Let's enjoy being in this present moment with each other. And let's look to tomorrow with hope. Yeah. And so we put it out there. I honestly thought no one would show up. And they did. Understandably. Most of the group came. Wow. Yeah. So I was really surprised at that. And then they came the next night and the next night. And we said, let's try to make it until Christmas Eve. Yeah. So they did. The majority of the students showed up each night. And it was so good. It was so good for them to be together. And so good for us to be able to speak into their lives at that critical time when they felt so isolated. Yeah. They felt in many ways forgotten. I think they felt a lot of anxiety. And so it was good to connect with God's word and the truth of God's word. Yeah. So on Christmas or yeah, Christmas Eve, then we made it 24 straight days and we were all celebrating that. And then one of the students said, can we keep going? Great. Which surprised me again. We were more than willing to. And so 
my wife and I and another uh, couple youth leaders in our church decided we'll continue to meet as long as you guys do. So 389 days later, an entire year, we met every single day. We didn't miss one day. And most of the students in our group were there, at least not everyone was there every night. Sure. But we finally decided to end it because we were starting to get back to sort of more in-person things. Yeah. But that I'll always look back to that, I think, as a miracle. Oh, absolutely. A very special time with students. Oh, man, what, a, what an evidence of God's grace. That's yeah. fantastic. And I think that youth ministry, that's it, isn't it? Youth ministry, we've been using this word pivot a mm. lot. Have you noticed? <laughs> yep. And we had to with COVID. But that's youth ministry. And I think what I've always loved about it is that the humility of youth workers their desire to reach students, their passion, yeah. causes them to innovate, to create, to exert great amounts of energy and time. There's a freshness to the ministry then. Yeah. And again, that relational aspect. And I think that we could really see that come out during COVID, that youth pastors, youth ministers, youth workers, they weren't content just to sit back and say, oh, well, well, we can't meet with students now. Yeah, They really made every effort to connect with students. and. They did. I think it really made a difference. So I'm really proud of youth workers, many that I know, who express the same kinds of frustrations and difficulties and sadness, really, in not being able to meet in person. But they, they went beyond the call. And that's what I've always loved about youth ministry. And it has deeply impacted the church. I think as you look at the church of today, it is the direct result of that kind of effort that goes into youth ministry that has transferred to all aspects of ministry. Yeah. So we could see that during COVID. Certainly. So I know you're very well connected in the youth ministry networks that exist. You know, over the years, you've taught hundreds of students in the youth ministry program that are now out serving the Lord in lots of different opportunities, youth groups, parachurch ministries, pastorates, etc. I've been a student of yours. Uh, I've benefited from the the youth ministers conferences that have existed, uh, that you've hosted and been a part of. Um, there's networks that you you are regularly a part of that try to pull youth ministers together for encouragement as well as just kind of a general take on youth ministry trends. What are the things as you're talking with other youth pastors and even students that are currently ministering and looking for future roles that you're seeing as trends in youth ministry over the past five years, things that have sort of shifted and changed, right? Like my, my question, I guess, sort of stems from this reality that we're no longer in the late 90s, early 2000s, where the huge epic games and multi-church collaborations and these, you know, just epic huge, fantastic camps are the norm anymore. That's right. that's very much abnormal. It still happens, and praise the Lord, it does. Yeah, right. But it's it's not the sort of go-to bread and butter for most youth ministries. How has that shifted the trajectory of youth ministry in your mind? Right. Well, we all kind of mourn the loss of that, right? Indeed. <laughs> but um, I have to admit that even in that era, I just wondered how effective that was. Sure. There was a lot of produced you know, highly produced content. And, you know, we all loved the, the high quality of it. But at the same time, I think what was missing was the down-to-earth, relational um, genuineness. Yeah. So I don't, it, it didn't surprise me when that kind of began to phase out with students. I think a lot of youth pastors would still like to do that kind of ministry. But, <laughs> but I think with students, 
we could always see it had limited effectiveness that we came to call that the attractional model, yep. that we try to create big events that would attract students to come. Sometimes I have to admit too, maybe it wasn't super clear to those students that were visiting why we were coming and maybe they felt like they got tricked a little yeah. bit. And we so probably weren't intentionally doing the bait and switch, but maybe yeah, inadvertently this right. was sort of a factor. Yeah, yeah. sometimes it was actually intense. I always yep. hated that, but yeah. but sometimes it was more that. But um, you know, what has replaced the attractional model is the idea that students are looking for something that's definitely genuine, raw, where they can see something that's real because they live in a very produced, manufactured plastic world. Yeah. And they're constantly being advertised to, and they know that. So they're trying to sort through all that and cut through it to find a real person, to find someone that really believes what they're saying and they live that out. But that's very personal. And I think COVID, what COVID did, I think, was helped us to wake up to the fact that we're not trying to reach masses of kids. We're trying to reach one. Yeah. And that's what we need to do now. I think in the past with a more homogenous culture where everyone was listening basically to the same kind of music, watching the same TV shows, we had a better chance of reaching a large segment of the population of teenagers and even then, we weren't super effective at doing that. But now the world is so divided, so fragmented yeah. that every student really has their own music, their own view of everything. And so the only way we're really going to reach them effectively, I think, is if we realize we have to count differently. We have to change our metric yeah. and we have to start measuring in terms of one at a time. So I don't know if you've seen that a little bit in your ministry too, Ben. Absolutely. I think we've moved and pivoted towards a deeply intentional discipleship model. And not that we weren't doing that before, and not that any youth ministry that was running an attractional model wasn't trying to also disciple students well. But I think the switch and maybe the the weightiness of whether or not the the event holds the swing of the day or whether the digging in in personal one-on-one -on -one life discipleship has been the the sort of helpful metric to look at when I think about success in youth ministry, I no longer think of we had an epic event that, you know, we got an extra 10 friends or 20 friends out to and we collaborated with three other churches. That's fantastic. And I'm, I'm grateful for, to the Lord when that happens. More than ever, I'm looking at I'm seeing the change in so and so's life that they're they're thinking biblically and very clearly on a topic that six months, a year ago, they were struggling deeply in or that they're finding answers and clarity from God's word uh, in things that the culture would say is, is very different from what God's word wants to say. Right. And they're grappling with issues that you and I wouldn't even have thought of. Yeah. And they need someone to walk alongside them, someone that they can trust, who has their head on straight and who can share their life with them. They don't just need to hear it from the front and yeah. being part of a huge crowd. And again, that doesn't hurt, but I think what they really need are adults that care deeply about them, that know them, and that can walk with them. And I think during COVID, we really felt that disruption because we couldn't see them. We couldn't see them in person. In some ways, we were able to open up communication through other means. But I think it made us realize how much that relational time in person, yeah. person to person, face to face, how precious that really is. And I think we cherish it now. I really do. Absolutely. So I think one of the challenges that we face, and maybe some other youth workers are listening, 
is that sometimes older adults, and maybe not even that much older than you, they have a much different view of youth ministry, and they measure youth ministry in terms of the 1990s. Yep. And so they'll say things like, how many kids did you have out? And if you said 100, I mean, they would just put you up on their shoulders and carry you around the sanctuary. But when you say 12, oh, and they worry that you might lose your job. Yep. You know? So I think for all of us, we need to realize what's happening. And I've also heard recently of several churches where there's a lot of pressure being put on the youth pastor because the youth pastor is trying to be very strategic with programs so that they can spend more personal time with students. Yeah. So that means less programming, more relationship time. But some of their supervisors have pretty much told them, you need to increase the number of programs per month yeah. because lots of programs equals effective ministry. Yeah. Not and in some ways they're looking, f- at least it's been my experience, um, praise the Lord, not at my own church, but but this has been the shared experience I've heard from a number of youth pastors that sometimes the idea of church growth is still somewhat dependent on the youth ministry bringing students in. Right. Uh, and that youth and family, and the, even if we're not calling it an attractional model anymore, that as churches are seeing less families show up or as churches are seeing some decline in membership, that the hope is that the thing that will still get families out is youth ministry. Right. And when that doesn't happen, it's the, the light is shown on the youth pastor all the right, more. Exactly. Yeah. And in my experience, that was never really true. It mm-hmm. was a common misconception. Yep. But it was never really true that if you have kids coming out, that their whole family will come. Yeah. But I think it, it has impacted youth ministry because some people have had to change their program and increase programs. But all that did was dilute everything. The students are coming, but now they're choosing between the programs. So you don't have that core of students at all your programs. You have a, bits and pieces of them mm-hmm. at various programs. Yeah. And so they the need days to be of together. lots of events are dwindling in, the, in favor of a few events that are well attended by the majority of your crew in order to do maybe more together and building on that model where you have a growth event or you have an outreach event that, you know, much, much echoes the the old way of the 90s or 2000s. But instead of doing five events in a two-month period, you may do two. Right. But so that you have the majority of your crew at those two events exactly. excited by what the Lord is doing instead of five at each of the other five. Right. And we felt this also during COVID, the busyness yeah. of families and teenagers. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of them... They had to take a step back from their schedule just because of what COVID did. Mm -hmm. And so they started new routines and new habits. And sometimes church was not part of their new routine. Yeah, it didn't get the high priority it used to. Right. So we're not seeing them come back. But I feel that's tragic because that's most what their students, what these students need. What they need. Yeah, they need that so much more. And then with what happened also, which I don't think anybody could have predicted, but the increase in wages for high school workers because yeah. of the need for workers these kids now are making 16 17 18 dollars an hour yeah. so juniors and seniors are almost completely absent because yeah. they're taking jobs now yep. so at a critical time when they're making huge life decisions or what i want to show up for an hour for right. you know yeah. some bible time and a couple of games when i can go and make 20 right. bucks right in that time yeah it's a big and, deal and they really they need that input though and i think it's a 
very important time, you know, all through the teenage years, but especially those later uh, high school years where they yeah. can really use that direction. I talk to my students about the fact that the programs that we have, they're of course just tools, yeah. right? And our real goal is to disciple students. It always has been yep. to reach them with the gospel and then to help them to grow, to be someone who's gonna love the Lord for their whole lifetime and to connect with Jesus church and be a huge part of the church. Yeah. And I call it getting to the second level and I can kind of compare it to an NFL lineman, you know, an offensive lineman his job is to block the guy directly across from him. Yep. And that's his main job is to make sure that that guy gets pushed back so his running back can get some yardage. But a really great lineman not only blocks the guy in front of him, but pushes that guy aside and gets to the second level Yeah, and blocks the linebacker. And that's when these guys that have the huge statistics as far as running <laughs> backs, they get all the credit, but it's actually the linemen yep. that do the work. And in youth ministry, getting to that second level is what's really difficult, but where the real treasure is. The programs that we have, they build trust. They help us to spend time with students so we can get to know them. But when we spend more personal time with students, usually outside the youth group time, yep. that's when the real progress happens. That's when real growth takes place. And we have to be intentional about that. And it's more difficult now than ever, but more needed than ever. Yeah. I want to tap into that idea of it's more difficult than ever because so many senior pastors that I, I'm in connection with these days, as they're talking with their youth pastors, as I'm interviewing them and talking with them, I hear this this sort of collective. And these are guys that may have only been out for 10 years or maybe only out for the last seven or so. Some have been out for longer, but but the collective kind of vein has been, I couldn't do youth ministry in 2022. And it's in, in some ways discouraging but in other ways encouraging for a guy like me, uh, other pastors that I know that, that sit there and go, yeah, a lot's changed, but God is still at work. Right. But there's been such a massive shift that even people that were seasoned and incredibly great gifted youth pastors are looking at the current landscape, the current cultural issues, the current struggles that students are dealing with, all the things they're questioning, all the things that the culture is throwing on them and, and pushing them to question that are pulling them away from the church and saying... I couldn't do that in 2022. Right. How have you seen that shift, uh, both in youth culture and in, in the challenges that, that face the youth pastor? Because part of this, I don't want to just doom and gloom everything, right. um, but the goal would be to encourage and equip uh, youth pastors and uh, youth workers and parents that are listening and, and to say that Jesus has not, in fact, left the building and there is right. incredible opportunity for the gospel to move forward, but we can identify the current cultural needs. Absolutely. And I, I would love to ask that person that says that they couldn't do youth ministry why they think that. Because when it comes down to it, a big part of it is effort. Yeah. It's hard. It is. It's, it's humbling. And I, I am so thankful for youth workers, for youth yeah. pastors, youth directors, for youth workers, youth leaders. Yeah. Because they're making the effort. And they're humbling themselves to be learners of the culture. Yeah. I don't think it's a factor of age. I really don't. I think there is a natu more natural connection for younger people, like those who are college students to relate to high school kids or those just out of college. But that's not really a factor that can play into everything. I think there's some older people that definitely can relate to younger people. Certainly. And they need that. They need to see people of all ages walking with the Lord. 
here's how I would say it. I think there's certain things about youth ministry that haven't changed, and that's what we need to focus on. And that's the fact that the gospel is the power of God at work. It's yeah. we can see that the gospel is what people desperately need, and it transforms the lives of people. And that includes some very key questions that all of us are asking, but we see those definitely in the teenagers. And that is, first of all, their identity. Who am yeah. I? That's the question that they're grappling with. And as you know, Ben, in our culture, it's becoming more and more confusing. But God's word gives us real answers to that critical question yeah. that teenagers need to hear. Now, they can hear that on a YouTube video. They can hear that somewhere in social media, but they need to hear it from a person that's standing in front of them and living it out. Yeah. That's where it really makes a difference. I think it can be reinforced with content that they're hearing in other places, but they need to have a real person who's demonstrating that. And that's where youth ministry comes in to help them to know their true identity in being created in the image of God yeah. and in Christ who they really are. And it might seem like a fairy tale to them because it's so disconnected and so far away from what the culture says. But boy, this is a message they need to know. Yeah. And along with that, belonging, that they are connected. They're not alone. They're not isolated. They're part of the family of God. Nothing can be closer than a brother or sister. And that's what Jesus gave us Amen. was a family, yeah. even sometimes closer than our biological family. I don't think it's a metaphor in the New Testament. I think it's a reality yep. that he made us connected and we need that. Yeah. And then the third thing is our mission, our purpose. We're searching for something to be part of that's bigger than ourselves, something that makes a difference for now, that can change the world and change things for the future. And that's being part of the church. And teenagers who experience that, they see this identity, this connection, and this mission and this purpose. This is what I'm longing for. And the only way they're going to find that in this confused world is if there are people who are willing to take time to invest in their lives. And, you know, I think it's a almost immeasurable a benefit for it to have someone in your church that's full-time in youth ministry. Both Ben and I are part-time, and we feel the, the limitations of that constantly. Yep. And I say to my wife, Michelle, if someone came here to do the ministry in our church full-time, I don't think they would do anything differently. They would just do everything better yep. and deeper yep. and spend more relational time with students. And we feel that, that we can run sort of the shell of the program when we can spend time with students. But boy, that, that time with students, I'm so thankful for the youth leaders in my youth ministry and the time they spend with students and what a difference that can make because of these things that they're never going to change these questions. Yep. And this is where youth ministry really is. So can anybody do youth ministry? Probably not. I mean, it does take <laughs> patience, yep. humility, hard Not everybody work. can deal with a seventh grader at the that's, same level. That's right. So I understand when someone says that, but at the same time, I, I kind of feel sorry for them. Yeah. Because I don't out. think there's anything better that you can do but to invest your life. In, in the life of a teenager. I just, I really believe that. Absolutely. It's one of the spots that, that God just so clearly uses to indwell his word in people. And it's, it's one of the most formative times in life. You know, you have opportunities. I, I think of the, the children's ministers of the world and the children's pastors and, uh, you know, the, the Sunday school teachers and, and all the volunteers that, that there's, there's a, 
an incredible window for the gospel in the, the life of a child because they're maybe more open to God's word. And Definitely. then there's another smaller window in the teen years. And then there's another smaller window in the college years and the years of formation. There's these formative times. And, and certainly the word of God can, can penetrate at any of those times and at the, in, even in our end of life. But what an opportunity that we have in, in convincing teens that Christ is worthwhile and worthy yeah. of worship. Yeah, because he saves us. Amen. You know, and when someone's saved, they have their whole life ahead of him to serve the Lord. Yeah. And I think that someone could definitely come to know the Lord later in life, but the people that I know that have had that experience— they do look back and wish that they had known the Lord earlier. Mm -hmm. And I think we have an amazing opportunity to reach a new generation also that they do want to make a difference in the world. I'm waiting to see how this develops because, as we know, coming out of World War II, we had the unexpected outcome that these young people that were sent overseas to win the war came back different yeah. and were called then the greatest generation. I'm just wondering, these guys have been through it and they've seen the struggle and they're living it still. I'm wondering how all this will play out as far as their own character, mm -hmm. their awareness of the world, the needs of the world, and their openness to spiritual things and, and the reality that God, Jesus is the answer. Yeah. So I'm waiting to see, and I, I, I say that with great hope because I see that in our students. I'm so impressed with their faith, their boldness, and their desire to live for the Lord even in a culture that's growing, it seems, in antagonism against Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're certainly seeing more cultural marginalization than ever before and a growing level of animosity and antagonistic uh, realities towards any faith, um, but certainly towards Christ specifically. One of the things that I wanted to find a, a way to, to chat through is in the vein of issues that have been brought up or new cultural realities that are coming and, and uh, that youth ministers are facing and that youth workers are facing uh, is this somewhat new trend of this sort of chasm of anxiety and stress that students are facing more than ever before. And, and let me just preface that with a number of things. There's been a number of statistics that have said even even a decade ago where a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship or relationships with classmates was so much more robust and, and deeper than before, not simply because of all the information saturation that we've had, but I think certainly in large part due to social media and the influence of that, there are a growing number, maybe an alarming number of students that are saying that their deepest friendships or the deepest level of connection they have is with a YouTube person that they watch constantly or a TikTok person or uh, somebody on social media that they just resonate with that speaks their language that they feel they're almost lockstep with and maybe even more so than the than the one-on-one -on -one relationships, whether it's youth group or school or uh, those face-to-face -face interactions are almost being superseded by these online interactions that are very often pushing a cultural narrative or pushing them away from Christ. How does youth ministry both see that and kind of address the reality of that lack of relationship that I think leads to increased stress, increased anxiety than ever before. Right. 
I think we play a huge and critical role in helping families to help their kids. Yeah. So I don't have all the answers, but I would say that what I've seen, as you mentioned, Ben, some of the big factors in this are the isolation that students feel. So even though they are on their phones constantly, and a large number of students have said that, they, they ask them in self-report, how much time do you spend on your phone? And they, many of them said all the time, Yeah. even sleeping with it. Yeah. So what's happening with that? They're, they're being isolated because God made us body, soul, and spirit. We're embodied people. He made us with a body. And so being person to person does make a difference. Being just in front of a screen is very different than being in someone's presence. So we're seeing the effects of that in the lives of the students in the way that they have now, many of them feel very uncomfortable in the presence of other people. Many of them have never learned social skills like we have learned without realizing it. Yeah. How to have a conversation, how to look someone in the eyes, how to read facial expressions, and how to enjoy someone's presence without feeling anxious. Yeah. So these are critical things. And I think some other factors that maybe we don't think about are just very human factors such as constantly comparing ourselves with an ideal image that we see on someone else's social media. Yeah. Where they are, what they're doing, how they look, that's all manufactured to look that way. And yet we think, oh, I'm missing out. I can't measure up to that. And so there's a deep level of dis dissatisfaction with myself and an anxiety yeah. that I'll never live up to that. Yeah. Maybe without even realizing that. Other human factors, which are very basic, like sleep. Many students sleeping with their phones are constantly disrupting their sleep. They can't get eight to 10 hours of sleep like everyone says they need during the teenage years, yeah. uninterrupted, eight to 10 hours. So few students are getting that and it's affecting them. It's affecting their mental health yeah. and their physical health. So these factors, as well as just being able to have relational time where they can practice their social skills, where they can meet friends and enjoy being with people, these are things that youth ministry can really maximize, helping them again to understand their identity, their belonging, their purpose, and allowing them to put that into practice by having a group of friends that can hang together and encourage one another and can support one another and can walk through life together. This is, I think, God's design, and many teenagers are missing out on that. Yeah, it's tragic. How do you help encourage and equip families who are trying to honor the Lord? And the, the question that I always get asked is, how do you fight back the onslaught of interaction with the culture and, you know, eight hours of school a day, and then they come home, they do some homework, and then maybe they're on their phones for a while, or they're binge watching something on Netflix, or they're hanging out. And none of it's necessarily bad, but an awful lot of time is spent just consuming content and parents will often ask, how do I continue to instill in my students the desire to be at church, the desire to know God's word, uh, because they're sucking up so much content. And then we have a maybe two-hour window on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. Maybe there's some one-on-one -on -one discipleship opportunities, but really probably no more than four or five hours a week for most families is dedicated to church, discipleship, uh, youth group time, activities. And, and I'm always reminding parents that 
they're constantly discipling their children. They're either in the choices they make, in their habits, and in the the way in which they remind their children that living for Jesus is worth it. They're either discipling their children towards Christ, or they're discipling their children away from Christ. How do we equip and and encourage parents and youth ministers and pastors that are that are faithfully serving and seeing the just chasm of, or the maybe upward mountain that exists of the tiny little time I get to have any small influence right. versus the huge, vast mountain of content and time away from church that kids are consuming? Yeah, it's a great question, Ben. And I'm speaking and answering the question as a parent and as a grandparent, Yeah, which I have to say, being a grandparent is <laughs> one of the best things I've ever experienced. People told me before I became a grandparent that I would love it. And I knew that, but I had no idea. Oh my goodness. Everyone, I just want to say that we need to understand that your role as a parent and a grandparent is unmatched. Mm -hmm. It is the most important role in the life of your children. And your model before them speaks louder than any amount of screen time. Your model is very important, but you have to be aware that your students, your children are watching you, not just when you're in public or when you're saying things that you've kind of measured and you know what you want to say. They're most learning from you when it's just the real you. And I'm, again, saying this to myself also. The things we say under our breath, the things we say criticizing other things, the things we say when no one else is around, that's when our children will learn the most because they know that's when you're the most real. So I think we need to think about what are we communicating with our words, but also with our model. Mm -hmm. And if I'm not going to church, if I'm maybe just sitting back on a Sunday morning watching that online and not participating, that's communicating something about the value. The other time we communicate values is when things conflict, when two things are competing for the same time, which one wins out? And how do you decide that? That is critically important. So our model is important. Our words are very important, but so is our presence. Uh, just before we came on this podcast, Ben was sharing with me the priority he has made to be with his children at nighttime. And this is critically important that we all, we can't all be there every night. We can't all be there as much as we would want to be. But to be very intentional about the presence that you have with your children, and I'm not just talking about small children. People think that once their kids are teenagers, they don't need their parents around anymore because that's what you feel, that you feel them kind of pushing you away. You know, they roll your eyes when you're there. Listen, they need you more than ever to be in their life. So I'm not saying that you have to smother them. But at the same time, boy, plan meals together. Plan vacations together, family times. Yeah, tuck them in at night. Yeah, they're 17 years old. Stop in their room and say, can I pray with you before you go to bed? These things are what will really matter in the life of a teenager, much more than any amount of screen time. Having said that, it's a really good idea to help your teenagers to be able to handle their screen time, not just to consume. We all know that, and it's hard to do. But help your teenagers to make their own limits on their screen time. You can impose those, but that's not their learning. That's you, you're imposing it. Help them to make decisions about their own screen time and how to sort through 
the messages and the information and the kinds of things they're listening to and watching, help them to discern. And that will be a lifelong skill that they will pass on to the next generation. Help them to use their social media and their screen time to advance the gospel. It's not all negative messages out there. That's the world they live in, and we have to accept that. Help them to live for the Lord in the world that God has placed them into by being a positive example and testimony in their own social media. And I think this will make a huge difference in their lives. So we don't have all the answers, of course. No. And it's so difficult being a parent today. And in so many ways, we feel unprepared and we feel like we're losing the battle because of the power of the, the media and social media and things like that. But I think it just comes back to basic, our own relationship with the Lord, our love for the Lord. How are we demonstrating that, modeling it with our words and our actions, spending time with our children, and then teaching them with our lives? This is where the real difference comes. Over the years, I've appreciated just your your constant faithfulness before the Lord and, and modeled uh, in leading your youth ministry, your children who are now themselves serving in ministries. And I would only assume, because if I've watched you do it with these, I'm assuming you're doing the same thing with your grandkids. Uh, what does it look like in your life? And what would you encourage both parents and, and youth leaders to do in ways that evidence to your children that living for Jesus is worth it. it. It certainly comes in all the things you just mentioned. It comes in regularly being in God's Word and uh, you know, having maybe a time of family worship together. That's certainly great, but not all families can pull that off in, in the same ways. I always wonder, you know, how often is my son watching me look into God's Word, even on my own? How often is he watching me pray and kneel before the Lord outside of a public church service where I'm supposed to be doing those things anyway. Over the years, how have you seen the sort of your own personal habits reflected in proving that Jesus is worth it to your children, to your grandkids, to others in, in your ministries? Yeah, I think that the first thing I have to acknowledge is anytime I see my children or my grandchildren moving toward the Lord, mm -hmm receiving him as savior, growing in their walk with him. That's the work of God. Amen. What a grace and I of have God. to give thanks to the Lord. Yeah. Because I look at my life and I think the question you just asked, Ben, <laughs> why would they ever want to follow the Lord after spending time with me? <laughs> right. Right. But it's, the, it's amazing how God works in answer to prayer. Yeah. And in some small ways that we may be some positive example to our children, but ultimately, it is his great and miraculous work that does it. And I have to say, I am so thankful to the Lord. First of all, for saving me. Mm. I was lost, and he found me. Forever grateful. Yeah. Because I know I can see more clearly now that I would have wasted my life completely mm. and wasted the lives of all the people around me, probably destroyed them. And it's only the grace of God that I can see that I didn't do that. I'm sure I did in some ways, but it's God's great power at work. And I think that I am so thankful to the Lord for his work in the lives of my children to open their eyes to see him and not to see me. And I think having a godly wife like Michelle mm -hmm. has really been uh, something that I'm especially thankful for. So my kids could see both a mom and dad. Hopefully 
they could see it in me that I love the Lord, that I want to follow him. And also, I think they could see through the pressures of life, through the more challenging times, that it wasn't just words, but that it was something that was genuine, that I know that the Lord is the answer, that his gospel is real, that it has tremendous power. And I had the advantage, I have to say, that I spoke to my kids personally about that. We were able to spend time with them all the way through their lives, Mm -hmm. teaching them and praying with them. And, And it continues now. I'm so thankful for that. But I can say too that they got to see me in public also because of the work that I do as a professor and as a pastor. They could hear me up close and also at a distance to see if what I was saying matched up. Yeah. And it didn't always, but I think they could see that my heart was there and that the Lord is real. That's the only way I could do what I do. Mm. So I don't really have an answer, Ben, really. And I know a lot of parents are struggling because they see their kids far away from God. Their hearts are cold toward him, the one that they love. And their hearts are broken because of it. Yeah. And that may be the starting point, that our hearts are broken. And so we pray harder and realize that it's only the Holy Spirit's work that will bring them to him. But the Lord does answer prayers. Yeah. He does. And so I think that's more of the important thing is our prayer and our own devotion to the Lord each day. You know, that's where we live. And he gives us the grace each day with the situation that parents are facing. Yeah. I'm often reminded that even on my best days, I'm nothing more than a deeply flawed sinner trying to remember and rely on the grace of God. And in any way, if I can lead others towards Christ and prove that Jesus is worth it, it is only by God's grace that I can do so. What a privilege. Yeah, indeed. For our kids, for our students, and our families and our churches. There is no message like it. There is just nothing in the world like Jesus Christ and the salvation that comes through his death and resurrection. And in every way, it's truth, and you can see it work out in real life. So it's such a privilege to be able to share that message wherever we can. Absolutely. Well, Matt, it's a great spot to cut our time this afternoon, and hopefully we'll have an opportunity to come back again and chat through youth ministry in the future. There's a you know growing concern in just ministry circles in general, uh, many articles and, and stuff, whether you look at Christianity Today or, or any other, other Christian publication that have kind of questioned the death of youth ministry. Right. And I think the reality is as long as the gospel has impact and is moving forward and God is at work, uh, we do not serve a God who leaves us where we are. We, in fact, if there, <laughs> I would say if there uh, was ever a worry that the death of youth ministry was impending, Uh, we should all be reminded that we serve a God who claims to be the resurrection and the life. That's right. Yep. And he will continue to reach people of all ages. Exactly. And it has been, I think we've evidenced that many times he reaches people when they are younger. Mm -hmm. So maybe it will look different than what we think of as youth ministry. And actually... It's probably not a bad thing. Yeah, that's right. Because youth ministry is something we invented, right? What we're talking about is, is loving and reaching and discipling people of all ages. And that's what the heart of youth ministry, Absolutely, what it is. Well, God bless. Thank you for your time. Thank you for a great conversation. I look forward to the next time together. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Ben.